welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This music is by the audio studio called Ant Food, and it's for the game Let's Revolution, which is a Minesweeper-esque roguelite puzzler that came out this summer in 2023. The music was written collaboratively with a team of composers working together to get the right vibe for the game, and I think they nailed it. It's such chill music and really enjoyable to listen to. I love it. I chatted with composer Wilson Brown about the music for Let's Revolution and what it's like to be on a team collaborating with other composers. Check us out over on YouTube. We're very close to monetization, so we could use help with watch time. If you want to go over and uh, watch some of our uh, content on YouTube, that would be very helpful. Join us on Discord to talk about this and other episodes. That link is down in the show notes. And if you can support us financially on Patreon, we'd be very grateful patreon.com slash level. All right, here's Wilson Brown talking about the music for Let's Revolution. Well, the game's called Let's Revolution. It just came out on Steam less than a week ago or a week ago, I think. Um, And it's been, yeah, I mean, it's been doing really well so far. So we're really excited about the, um, you know, from playtesting and, and, you know, demos to now, um, you know, it's been really well received and it's fun for us to start to see, you know, some little comments pop up about the music. Um, But I guess we had started last fall. I was looking at this because I pulled up a sort of a treatment deck that we had made of how we wanted to approach the music, you know, in preparation to, to chatting with you. And um, our longtime collaborators, friends, our uh, animation motion graphics company called Buck, we've uh, explored a number of forays into gaming together, um, developed a number of uh, sort of proof of concept vertical slice ideas. And this was the first one that we we brought to market together. Um, but they'd approached us and had already done a bit of the mechanics, but certainly all of like the concept art and, and story. Um, and we work very closely with them a- across a number of different disciplines, but um, this is something we're all really passionate about. And it was a fun, yeah, I mean, I don't even know how to like get into this to this story, but I think, you know, the concept is this sort of goofy, irreverent take on, you know, I guess a disconnect between the the elite and, and the not elite. And, um, you know, so there's this king who's named the King of Bebom, I actually somehow ended up being his voice. So now I have all these like social media marketing things where I'm just really being a total asshole. Um, We're building like an AI voice of of him as well to uh, sort of just spout out, you know, horrible things. Um, But, you know, there are these different regions. Uh, I don't have you, have you played the game or just listened to the soundtrack so far? Just listened and watched, watched a bunch on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really fun. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, sort of roguelite minesweeper type, you know, game. I personally wasn't really familiar with these, you know, this, this sort of genre. Um, so it was fun to dive into and explore, well, you know, what are this sort of standards and the framework that we're playing within that? And what can we bring that's novel to it? And I and we can get into some specifics, but I think the, you know, for me, the most exciting aspect and my, and my team, I run, you know, a team of composers and, you know, creators here in our, our New York and Amsterdam studio, we worked on this game together. Um, but, uh, was really like building a world for a pretty simple, you know, 
puzzle logic based game that we could kind of build this more fantastical world that there are these different regions, there's shops that, you know, are characters that come from different lands in the realm. And so it's really like a very simplified take on, you know, building an entire world that culminates in this, you know, almost, um, I don't know if the game designer would would like this, but it almost reminds me of like Hunger Games. You know how there's like the capital where it's, you know, all of these sort of out of, out of touch sycophants of the the king, um, you know, and it's it's derived from kind of the the culture of the regions that they they govern, I guess. But, you know, that nobody nobody likes them. And so it's just, you know, a quick kind of simple story that we could tell musically by setting a tone for these, you know, fantastical made up ancient cultures that are all unique and different and then kind of culminate into the the capital where the king lives and you know, no no spoilers, but your goal is to uh revolt and I suppose eventually kill the king. <laughs> <laughs> at least unseat him at the very, you know, yeah, at the very yeah. least. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, the game itself, like, it seems amazing. I, it would be right up my alley, especially, like, the roguelite kind of, I, I love that. Um, love the, the color palette. is. It's just an adorable game. Um, and so I, it seems like maybe you said that a lot of that was already ready by the time you started working on it, like you were seeing gameplay or were you getting concept art and things like that? Yeah, it was actually just, it was concept art. And I mean, I think we're all really excited about what, you know, where this can go from here. Um, there were originally like sort of six different lands that were scoped. Um, we built out four and, you know, depending on the success may may build a bit more, but there were, yeah, there was concept art characters and, you know, sort of prose descriptions of the history of these proud, you know, people. So there's the, you know, the Phloxians are this sort of, you know, transgendered warrior desert, you know, folk. Um, the Symbidium is this like sort of ancient, almost elven looking forest kingdom. Uh, there's a one called called Saffron that are sort of these high priests that live up in the clouds. Um, and, you know, there are a few others. And then there are these shops that have characters that come from some of the other the other lands. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, you, to, to answer your question more directly, there was a concept and a story for each of these, which for us as composers was was fantastic. Yeah. Because um, you know, we were able to think about okay, this is, it's fantasy, right? And we can sort of base it in, you know, some aspect of reality, but we tried to look through the lens of what is the sort of sonic palette, the harmonic structure, the sense of, of space and grandeur or, you know, sparseness in each of these regions. And we could pull some things from, you know, gaming, from media, film, from just our, you know, imaginations that are sort of tropes of those places as inspiration, but also try to think about was a framework that could, you know, hold all this whole world um, together.
Yeah, and so where did you go then in terms of the sonic palette? And like, I mean, I know based off of my listenings, um, which incidentally did happen the first listen, the first time I listened to the soundtrack, I hadn't looked up anything at all about the game, which is kind of one of my favorite things to do, because then you're like, oh, why trumpets? You know, because I'm a trumpet player and I love trumpet all, oh, the, all day. I want trumpet all day. So I'm like, oh, why? And then you read into it. You're like, oh, probably because there's a king, you know? And so it's hey, fun to yeah. like draw those musical conclusions. You know, I, I don't know, but I, I just, I loved the horns that popped in. I loved... Um, choir at certain point there's like choral voices in the background it's just mm -hmm. a really fun uh sonic place so so talk to me about that yeah yeah well i love that that you picked up on that i listened to a few of your episodes and i loved the one with the uh deliver me the moon deliver me mars and oh god i love the those other games. days sunday is fantastic yeah uh, but yeah I, I think you know uh, the there there are a couple aspects like the the trumpets we wanted to pay homage and also do a bit of tongue-in-cheek parody with this idea of like the regal fanfare right so that was an obvious um tool or you know mechanism musically that we could play with one of my colleagues here linton is a great jazz trumpet player and so sort of brought him in and we started doing the fanfare so in gameplay um at you you need to sort of you know un uncover the the tiles defeat some energies use you know some of your uh you know skills that you've acquired to to figure out how you're going to navigate it but in all of the early levels you're not really battling the king you just sort of find sure. him and then he scoots away on his little you know hovercraft egg egg car kind of thing um <laughs> and so there's always the fanfare you know that represent in the early levels that represents the the king um and then you know, we started to use that almost more as like a little, you know, sonic cue uh, that's triggered in F mod at a, at a certain point in, in gameplay. But then a, as the, the game evolves, we start to weave in, you know, actual trumpet melodies and lines into the fabric of the compositions that culminates in the last level, which is that B-bomb, I think it's called the King's Clutch on Spotify, but yeah. to much, you know, they're all sort of same key, same tempo. They all kind of ebb and flow and work together. And then we like ramp it up for that last sequence. It's, you know, last three levels or so. Um, and so that, you know, the trumpet becomes a voice there. And we're really trying to play, you know, in a very, you know, sort of, you know, call and response or like variations on a theme uh, technique of like that there are these different forces at play. They're different instruments that represent the different cultures. And they're all sort of intertwining and playing against each other. Uh, musically as you know as as the game evolves and so one of my favorite elements is the um i can isolate and send you some audio files if, if it's helpful but the oh, yeah. uh you know there's this little chromatic thing that happens in that that king's clutch track that plays over the last few levels the trumpet um, right yeah and then it opens up into this bigger you know melodic theme that we're using throughout in a, a variety of different instrumentation So that was, I mean, I think we try to do that in, in all of our work, but just sort of the pace and the world that was built for Let's Revolution was a really fun way of playing with, like, there are these forces that are opposed 
to each other. And whether they're working together, whether one's oppressing the other, whether they're actively fighting in our imagination, they're all of these different instruments that in a musical way have to sort of push and pull. And, you know, sometimes they're in unison, sometimes they're sort of, you know, playing counter to each other. And so that was just a fun technique for what we do in terms of composition, arrangement and production to try to, you know, give uh, give an allusion to what we imagine is, ha is happening, you know, in action <laughs> behind the scenes of just bouncing around the tiles, you know. <laughs> love too that there is always kind of like oh, a little wink in the eye you know there is humor in this music which you obviously see when you're uh, you know playing the game which you know I didn't but you can see it's just funny you know which which is fun yeah and I mean I think it couples with the the illustration um and yeah and just sort of the the visual style and world building that there's like we're taking a you know a a, a more I don't know, an important and a heavy theme, but applying a very irreverent, silly, you know, goofy take on it. And even yeah. like the visuals of the king himself is like this big kind of puppet head. I've always assumed that there's like a tiny little, you know, Wizard of Oz or some kind of, you know, uh, insecure man behind this like bravado mask, you know, but yeah. Um, yeah, but so I, yeah, I mean, I think in all aspects of it, it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be, you know, silly. Yeah, yeah, love that. Uh, so I also loved, um, you know, and, and I think it's probably in there a lot more than I noticed it maybe, but a lot of like mouth percussion. And there's one track in particular where you hear it, obviously, like mouth clicks or whatever. So talk to me about that. Sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's, there's a ton of stuff in, in this. I can talk a little bit about, you know, our process as, as we get into it, but we had a, a number of different um, composers working on this. You'd mentioned before the, the choirs and the sort of vocal performance and that that's for that sort of ethereal cloud, you know, priest, priest world. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, with, vocal performance in terms of like mouth pops, clicks, and there are a few tracks. There's also a lot of, you know, hand percussion, wooden percussion for that sort of woodland realm um, called Cymbidium. There, there were two potentially contradictory ideas. One, we wanted to bring a lot of real acoustic human performance to it. And that could be in the, you know, mouth percussion, the trumpet lines. There's a lot of, you know, recorded string, cello, and, you know, violins, violas. Um, and all, at the same time, our initial concept was to build upon the palette. Like we were obsessed with, uh, 
Sound Blaster Live, you know, in 1998, there was this PCI card that came out and all of a sudden you went from having, you know, synthesized sound cards um, in games to having sample-based sound cards. And, you know, by today's standards, it's very low fidelity, poorly sampled, you know, not a ton of range and variation and, and dynamics. Um, but for us, we found, you know, that so charming. And so we looked into, um, you know, how can we bring an element of, of that and using, you know, those sort of sound banks from, from Sound Blaster, but also going a little bit back further in time from the late 90s to the early 90s and looking at like, a, I have a Kurzweil K2000 behind me, if you know what that is. <laughs> uh, Spencer, one of the other guys had a D50. Um, you know, and some early, you know, kind of wave station, early, you know, wavetable and sample based um, uh, synthesizers. And so the, the world was to sort of blend like early digital with human performance acoustic uh, instrumentation. And so cool. I think, well, I, I'm not sure like everybody, you know, cares about this or, or picks up on it, but if anybody is, they, they certainly listen to your, your, your podcast. Um, but we tried to build like a unique palette that wouldn't stand out and it didn't feel off-putting or off, you know, brand or media, um, but it blended some things together in a, in a novel and interesting way. And so we're sort of looking back at an earlier period of time, but thinking about how we can combine that. And so that, that's a bigger answer to your question, but I think looking at the vocal treatment, that was just one element of trying to bring some human performance in it and really do something that, you know, doesn't shy away from the tradition of MIDI sequencing, but it <laughs> imbues a little bit more life in it, right? We weren't trying to make yeah. a pure you know, just straight up jazz ensemble and like keep it all off the grid. Um, we were trying to sort of, you know, blend the, the best of both worlds, but maybe push a little bit away from the high, you know, the high gloss, like big MIDI, you know, libraries that are used in a lot of like, you know, bigger sort of triple A and even triple I kind of games. So we, we wanted to do something that felt tasteful, bespoke, unique, but, um, you know, but maybe looked a little bit more backwards than than forwards. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, there's one track in particular that kind of hit me nostalgically because of that sound, I think, that, like, you know, of the era, like, sample-y kind of sound. Um, Aquila or Aquila, uh, Aquila maybe. Because um, there's just all these old-timey piano samples in there kind of mashed yeah. together, which was really fun. And it 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 especially reminded me of those early years of people doing that, which I think is what you're going for, you know? Yeah. And that's cool. That's, yeah. That's, I love that. Yeah. I love that you, you noticed that and, and it feels it. Cause I think that, yeah, I mean, we certainly have, we have real pianos around the studio that we love to record <laughs> and play. Um, we also, you know, have nice, you know, modern sampled libraries of, of, you know, elegant nine foot Bosendorfers that we couldn't actually afford to put in the, the studio here. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I think there's some, there's such charm in that sort of nineties, two thousand sampled. I mean, obviously we all know it from kind of Euro dance <laughs> tracks, but yeah, there's a real fun, um, 
uh, limitation really, I think is, is what, you know, a lot of this is about. And I know we sort of blew up the score in, in a way, um, but it was very, we did have a, a concept that we wanted to adhere to across all of the, the cues. more than about ant food and where you are because you're all over the world really but where you are where your studio is just tell me a little bit about that sure yeah so ant food we're a music and sound design studio um we you know broadly believe that we solve problems as they pertain to all things audio we work in a lot of different spaces we do linear composition for commercial and film we do a lot of large-scale physical installations and experiences like the empire state building and big you know light and sound sculptures um, we do sonic branding work um, and we really love you know creative uh, audio innovation projects game engine projects nonlinear composition thinking about spatial sound how we can work um, you know with our craft in in mediums that are less um, maybe rigid than you know the traditional tape music start and stop um, and so we've, we've done a lot of, you know, game engine work. Sometimes that can be for experience and events. Sometimes it's for games. We do a lot of work in the AR VR space and have done a lot of gaming in that. This was our first, um, is it, well, I'll say it's our first published, you know, uh, yeah. sort of more, you know, PC based, uh, based game. And um, I think one thing about the studio, we have, a, I'm here in New York, we have an office in Sao Paulo, Brazil, Amsterdam, Netherlands, and Los Angeles. And uh, the New York and Amsterdam teams worked really closely on this. But I think one thing that's unique about um, the studio is that we work collaboratively. So often, you know, the seed of the idea or maybe a harmonic outline or sort of a first pass was done by one composer. And then we invite somebody else to come in and say, hey, can you, you know, add something to this? What do you think about this? You want to chop it up and rearrange. And so we have an iterative process where we're all sort of collaborating and, and putting ideas together. And I think what was, and everybody was really excited to work on this. We had, you know, arguably more people than we, we, needed to or could have because there was such a, you know, an energy and excitement. But I think we really had sort of four core composers, myself included, working on it. Um, and then we had a team of another, you know, five or six people that were contributing, you know, melodic ideas or percussion or were performing an instrument. Yeah. Um, one of our, one of my um, team members here who is in the studio, but I couldn't drag him in to talk to you, unfortunately. Um, Spencer Casey, he had done all of the, the we, we did this one in FMOD for middleware, um, it's Unity, but um, the, uh, you know, he had done all of the sort of programming or FMOD design, which was really fun to have that team member in-house and be able to bounce ideas around about, you know, some of, some of the tracks are a bit more linear. Like I, if, you know, in, in gameplay, I think we always sort of have a base layer. And then as you 
encounter enemies, as you sort of get closer to, you know, achieving the goal, we're adding additional layers, often sort of, you know, big tribal drums and things that take this sort of chill ambient, um, you know, bed and, and give a bit more, you know, drama and, and tension to it. And then, you know, there's a, a couple different states too, where, you know, if you, you can, you can like reach all clear, or you can find the king, which are both, you know, successes in getting out of the the level, um, but they'll sort of evolve into different, um, you know, aspects of of the music, and you get sort of a, you take all the the drama away once all of your enemies are dead. Um, we met, we talked a little bit about the the fanfare um, there, so I think, you know, in addition to just thinking about there are these compositions and then you know recordings versions we made for the the Spotify um, playlist. Mm -hmm. uh, but there, you know, the the in in game, you know, there is a lot more sort of diversity and um, you know aleatoric combinations that can happen of combining the elements, especially in some of the the shops. We got a um, one of our executive producers in the Amsterdam studio who wasn't working. She voiced a few of the the voices for some of the characters, okay. yeah. but she wasn't really working on the project. But she got an email out of the blue from someone like the first. 24 hours that the game was launched and it was like love the game i played it for like nine hours i uh and i've listened to the soundtrack like however many times and it's really great but my favorite song from the game is not on spotify and it was oh. like the shop one of the shops for chovi which is one of the characters okay. but um, and it's a beautiful composition but i think we just sort of overlooked that we also are going to press a, a vinyl that's the the working nice. plan so that's why it's like 38 minutes instead of hours. Um, but the the Chovy cue, and it's such a nice thing to, you know, to just get an email like that out of the blue. Um, but then our, you know, our marketing coordinator was like, oh, cool. Well, we'll just like put up a little, another EP for her on Spotify with that and a couple of the other cues that we, we left out. Um, but that one in particular, we didn't include it on the linear you know, vinyl and Spotify pressing because it is uh, a more sort of generative piece in F mod that kind of, okay. you know, just ebbs and flows. So we didn't have like a linear bounce of what it is. And every time you go into that shop, it, it you know, it, it plays a little differently. The, the plus side is we can take what is often a 10 to 40 second experience in that shop and we can just let it run and <laughs> make a three minute track for Spotify. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Make everyone happy. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, someone's responsible for the Quika in the woodlands. Yeah. That's oh, like wow. my You're favorite thing in the world. It made me laugh. So I should have brought that in. That's always a, a hit. Uh, yeah. So we, um, and I, I'm biased too, because uh, I w worked on composing that track. The, I don't know what it's called on Spotify. Maybe the, the Woodlords. Wood something like that. Yeah. Um, that was a really fun one. You know, the world is this sort of beautiful, you know, ancient, proud culture that lives in a somewhat like 
Lord of the Rings, you know, Elven Rivendell kind of kingdom and half half that and like half like was it Robin or Swiss Family Robinson where they live like in the, the trees. Um and the yeah, so we wanted to have this sort of wooden and they're like technologically sophisticated, but I assume everything's made out of wood and leaves and dirt, <laughs> something rather than <laughs> metal and plastic. Um and so yeah, that was the I, I love that composition, both in sort of the rhythmic mechanical aspect of it. But then yeah. once we start taking that harmonic, you know, journey with all the borrowed, borrowed harmonies. Um, and yeah, the I mean, I'm a, I started my career working in Brazil. We have an office there. I have a big affinity for, for um, Brazilian instruments and music. We always have a, you know, when everybody, whenever anybody's going from, you know, New York to Brazil and back, we try to bring back a kind of basket of percussion instruments, but yes. we've had a number of cuicas over the years. Now we have one of the big profesional, you know, <laughs> ones. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's just like a, we, I don't have too much of a story behind it other than we love the instrument and it's such a sort of haunting and calling, you know, instrument. So we thought in the world we're imagining, which is this like high knowledge or technology, but, kind of elvish people that live in trees that that would be you know a mechanism of communication or something <laughs> you know between their little tree kingdoms i guess yeah i loved that track i i wrote here this might be my favorite because i love the multi trumpets and i'm i'm biased to being a trumpeter so i'm and uh, yeah that made me really happy <laughs> yeah um so yeah big time so um you know, talk to me a bit more about about the collaborative collaborative process. I've, you know, many many times had on you know duos and and more, uh, so it's not unusual. But um, you know, and I think even in in almost any other world of music, it's um, the norm, right? I mean, especially if you look at any kind of pop or hip hop album. I mean, it's just like loads of people working on single tracks, so. It's not unusual, but I'm always interested in it because, you know, it does, um, it just requires you to work with people that you trust, right? So, so talk to me just about that dynamic and um, passing tracks around and who starts and how do you decide who starts and stuff like that. Yeah, lo I, love, I love that question. Feel free to kind of rein me in. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> yeah, I think that there, I mean, I can start by talking about how this project went and then maybe, you know, touch on some of the aspects of how, you know, we're able to create a collaborative culture and a sense of, you know, support and, you know, affirmation in a, in a, you know, sometimes vulnerable and, and challenging art form. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in, in this case, we had an internal process, right? We did have our dear friends at Buck um, who we wanted to ensure that were really happy and felt that the music we were making the developer uh, yeah you know was uh was the you know it not only was you know what they were looking for but added something to the game and and the world and and enhanced the entire experience um but in this case we we started with one region which is called flocks this is this desert desert region of warriors and um 
I think we had four of us and we sort of collaborated a little bit, but we all took kind of a, a stab at a really rough pass of like, what could this world sound like? And we're really looking to figure out what the, you know, aesthetic qualities, timbre, all of, you know, kind of musical qualities, what the sort of sense of space, the general mood or tone or vibe or feel um, would be. And I think we, I don't know, we took a few days or a week and, you know, had other things going on at the same time. And then we got back together with the core small team we were working with and everybody kind of presented their ideas. I think I was actually in the Amsterdam studio there. So I was with three of, of the four people and Spencer was, was here in the States. And um, I think we all had, you know, and that's the toughest thing, right? Because everybody's got an idea and they're yeah. all good. They all have merits, right? But we wanted to find, well, what's the one, you know, representative path that we think is, that's the seed of what's going to kind of, you know, help build this world. And then we can pinpoint aspects of the other tracks and compositions that we can think about, you know, adding in or potentially applying to some of the other, other levels or worlds or, you know, shops, whatever. And um, so we netted out with a track that Spencer had made that was called Bearded Dragon, which I guess oh, yeah. is a desert, desert creature. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, I think it's so funny to go back because this is probably September or October of last year. And I mean, I think we all recognized that it had the most promise and it did the best job of honoring the form, right? Like honoring, you know, a roguelike, you know, sort of tile minesweepery game, um, but bringing some some magic to it, right? It was a little bit more harmonically adventurous. There were some, you know, timbres and arrangement decisions that wouldn't be standard in, you know, modern video game music production. Um, but it like, it felt right. You know, it felt like it fit the, the, the vibe of, of the game. So we really took that. And then I think every, that was the first one. And so everybody kind of piled in, added a ton of stuff. We probably put way, way too many layers, melodies, instruments, percussion, and it was just way too much stuff. And then you look at it and you're like, well, this is typically, you know, depending on what the role of the dice is, the first levels that you play in the game, let's kind of, let's scale back and <laughs> start small. We've got... 12 or 15 other, you know, big compositions we could make for this. And so I think then from there, we, we, so we all came up with ideas. We rallied around one, we all contributed and added what sort of our thoughts or our contributions could be and had to pair that back. Right. And, and sort of edit and curate what, what was salient about the piece. And then from there, um, you know, that kind of became the North star or the example of what, um, how we were going to approach the other levels. And then from there, we kind of divided and, and conquered at least that initial phase. So I worked on with, with one of my colleagues, Pedro, um, who's my partner that runs the Amsterdam office, uh, the Woodlords, which you'd, you'd reference Charlie, I think she might have single-handedly started with the, um, the saffron. That's the sort of ethereal world, um, and yeah. brought the her and Alette, another colleague in Amsterdam, they both sang on those, you know, those choirs. Okay. Um, and then the capital <coughs> uh, was was 
fun because maybe maybe that sort of warrants its whole other conversation because that was sort of the culmination of all of these. And we wanted to play with the trumpet theme. We wanted to have an idea of this sort of like Baroque, you know, it's like the end of their heyday that they're sort of at this fancy, you know, harpsichordy Baroque uh, ball, but there's, you know, all of these forces that are sort of, um, you know, infiltrating the, the, um, the capital and that sort of, you know, combined a little bit of everything, but that one Spencer had started writing, I think we'd kind of hit a wall of like, how do we, how is this similar to it, but how is it different? Cause there was some, you know, the tempo was much faster. There's a lot more active. Um, it, we were playing with this sort of Baroque counterpoint thing in a midi video game kind of lens. Um, and then, so I'd taken that over and put on, you know, some harmony and some new melodies, Charlie, she took it and, and added some, some thoughts as well. So that one was like a, tr and then, you know, Linton had come in and, and done the, the trumpet lines and brought, you know, some of that stuff, he was outlining, you know, melodies that were already written. And then some stuff he just made up from scratch, especially the chromatic thing, which is one of my favorite aspects of the whole, the yeah. whole sound. Um, and so anyway, that, that's a probably long winded way, but it was, uh, it was very collaborative process where you need somebody to, to put an idea down, right? Like get it out of your head, you know, onto paper, onto, into a computer, something that people can react to, respond to, add to, subtract from. And then, you know, from there, we're sort of trying to pass the, the potato around and, you know, allow everybody to have creative contributions. But the tactical aspect of that process is to ensure that we net out with something that feels unified uh, in, in terms of aesthetic, rather than having four different levels that feel like they were totally different composers with a different, you know, toolkit of instruments and whatever. That, that's the process and then like I I mean it, it's difficult and we do this in a lot of different ways we actually just made like a little micro documentary like a little seven or eight minute documentary I'm happy to share with you about yeah. how we work and why we do what what we do um and it's it's about a sort of a weird little film we'd made with some some visual collaborators last year um but the our story is, you know, how do you collaborate in, you know, in, in an aspect of creativity that requires so much of your heart and soul. And, you know, we, I always say like the hardest thing about what we do is you really have to put yourself into the work. You have to love it, nurture it, care for it, care about it, mm -hmm. um, for it to be good enough that it's going to resonate with other human beings. And then the challenge is that you also have to be able to step back and allow other ideas to come in or a client that might not, you know, have the same vision or sensibilities or taste or perspective, you know, wanting to change and at worst, you know, take out all the things you loved about <laughs> it, replace them with things you might not um you know, have as much affinity for. Um, we try to work in a process that we, you know, we we don't allow that to happen or we try to guide, you know 
collaboration to make things net better um, across the board. But as I mentioned earlier, there's so much, you know, vulnerability and ego even, you know, I know that that can sometimes be be a, a bad word and I think it can manifest in, in bad ways, but I think we can look at, you know, composers and music and also recognize there needs to be an element of ego to get the idea down and out there and in a firm enough format that other people can, you know, understand it and, and take it in. So I think that's an ongoing, um, you know, aspect of my professional and artistic life. And I think everybody I work with loves and respects that, the dichotomy too, but you're kind of always trying to balance a, a leadership and a supporting role, you know, in, in terms of composition. And I think what's nice about ant food and our, our culture um, is that we do enough projects that are, you know, we can sort of trade off those roles. And so you can build a community and a culture where, you know, one person is contributing in a certain way on one project and in another way they're, they're in a different role. And I, I find, you know, a lot of the people I've worked with for, you know, 15, 10, you know, 13, eight, seven years. And, um, over that, you know, amount of time, we really, you know, have a, an understanding of each other as humans and as, as creatives and are able to kind of balance and push and pull and, you know, move, move things to a, to a better way. But it's, I mean, it's fun and it's really rewarding, but it also can, can always be, be challenging, you know? Wilson, when, um, you know, tell me a little bit about you musically. Like, when did you start playing whatever you played and what did you play and, and all of that? Sure, yeah. I um, I mean, the joke, I always say I play a thousand instruments at a very mediocre level, yeah. which in my world is better than playing any one virtuosically, yeah. um, including the cuica, as you heard. <laughs> but I'm not a good cuica player, but I can make it squeak. Um, yeah, I think... I mean, I, I always loved music. I, um, you know, from when I was a kid, I, I, you know, we had a piano in the house. My dad had a guitar that I think I probably like took half the strings off and like tuned in some open tuning before I knew about anything. I would write little songs and I'd make mixtapes on like a boombox where you're like recording it off of the microphone instead of a, you know, direct <laughs> line from the radio to, to uh, the yep. tape. Um, so I was always, you know, interested and obsessed with that. I think my parents got me a guitar for Christmas when I was maybe 12. I played that. I took some piano lessons growing up too. So I had some, you know, basis in in that. And then, you know, I played in a lot of bands. I got into recording, you know, with friends in middle school and early high school. We were doing it on four track cassette tapes. And then by the time I was sort of, you know, towards the end of high school, I, you know, there was like early like the, the crappiest digital, you know, four track Fostex. It, it was a zip or a Cyquest drive was the <laughs> okay. recording. Uh, and then eventually, you know, getting into 
early computer recording, uh, some fun, which it all lines up. It's funny. It all lines up with like the aesthetic that we wanted to, to create uh, for, for Let's Revolution. But, you know, the those sound cards, some like, you know, early software like Acid Pro and, I don't know, Cool Edit, you could do some, some random stuff. But I, I mean, and, and I played in, you know, rec, like recreational or like, you know, friends, yeah. you know, garage basement playing at the local, you know, uh, community, you know, festival shows and little bars and coffee shops around Philadelphia. Um, but I was also like really interested in, in recording and music and I'd studied music theory. I went to college and, um, you know, studied traditional music. So like theory, composition, Western canon of that world, but with, you know, some emphasis on like the 20th century, also Europeans. And I did, you know, I studied a lot of other stuff. I studied like, you know, Ghanaian music and um, was pretty diligent in like theory composition and went to study. A, is this like too detailed of a no, person? No, not at all. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, <laughs> um, I also, unlike like so many of my friends, uh, I also, I always knew I wanted to work in music. I never had any doubt. And my personal story is very like, I, you know, whether that some of this is true and real and some of this is, you know, artificially created my own narrative, but I do have a very contrarian approach because basically everyone in my life said like music, you can't, like, you can't do that. That's not a thing. That's not mm. a, a job. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and my parents were very supportive, you know, and, and I, I remember coming home like freshman halfway through freshman year of college and asking is like, would it, is it like, okay, if I major in music and they were like, yeah, it's fine. So, um, so that, you know, kudos to them, but every other, you know, adult professional guidance counselor, teacher, friends, even, you know, suggested this was not, um, a path worth, or, you know, that was just feasible to pursue. And um, so a lot of my story in life is, you know, sort of framed around proving, proving people wrong, at least in, <laughs> as it comes to music as a profession. Um, but I was, I was also like very amb ambitious and driven. So I did that all. I studied, you know, abroad at a conservatory in Prague and I'd come back to college. And I basically finished my traditional tracked music degree, theory and composition. And I was, you know, um, friendly with the uh, the chair of the music department who allowed me to start doing a, a master's in uh, what was called like computer music or multimedia experiences. And, and you know, it's sort of, it's a lot of stuff that we do today. It was a lot, it was, you know, a lot of sort of, com you know, sort of traditional computer music focus with a practical aspect of Max MSP and, and, you know, processing and some sort of light object oriented coding for artists. Mm. Um, and so I had done that. And then I decided if I like went to New York or LA or Nashville or London, I would end up in some kind of track in production. So I moved and I also studied a different language every year. And so I had um, sort of fallen in love with Portuguese and Brazilian music and culture. Um, and I, I like worked for a summer, I saved up a thousand bucks. I moved to Sao Paulo, Brazil, hoping oh, wow. to find a job in either music or motion graphics or animation, which you know could have been a different path for me. And I um, signed up to teach English as a second language, like as a backup, but I was fortunate within a week, I got a, a gig that was like wrapping cables at a 
CD DVD recording um, for it was Seo Georgi and Anna Carolina. I don't know if you know them. Seo Georgi is the mm-hmm. guy who plays the life, uh, the David Bowie songs in Life Aquatic. Oh, okay, okay. He's the good guy in City of God. If you've ever seen that, but anyway, he's a big pop star at the time, still is, I, I suppose. Um, but the producer of that ran a music house that made uh, music, largely music for for commercials. Apollo Novi, he's he's still a friend, and so anyway, it's kind of like befriended him, you know, he hired me for this gig, I showed him my work, and then he hired me as a as a composer. And so then I nice. started composing for media, a lot of like ads at, at that time mm-hmm. in, in Brazil. And so I started, you know, my career at sort of a young age, just like writing, you know, music for whatever was was coming in. And I always joked that and I did that. And I bounced around a couple different companies. I, I worked at the you know, after that, I, what I think was the biggest music house in South America at the mm-hmm. time, and I had my own room. I met one of my current business partners there, uh, and then went to another place, and eventually ended up in New York. But I was joked that at you know when I was in Brazil, I was like the gringo. You know, I was like the the kid who could do good sounding North American and European music. And I moved to New York, and my entire portfolio had a Portuguese voiceover on it. <laughs> like people would just call me for like salsa rumba you know like caribbean spanish like you know things that had nothing to do with brazil nor the actual music that was on my reel but it was just you know so anyway that's my my uh my life story as it pertains to music yeah Portuguese, such an amazing. I was. I just interviewed a Portuguese composer. He lives in LA now. Um, Vinicius uh, Barbosa Pipa. Yeah, and, I saw that one. I, yeah. I, I listened to two episodes yesterday. And I didn't pick that one, but I'll, I'll go back and check it out. So. Yeah, I mean, he was just wonderful, and and so we we talked a little bit about that, and um, yeah, I've never been down there. I I yeah, I don't know. The music of Brazil is amazing, and the language is so gorgeous. Oh my God, just. Yeah. Sing to me in Portuguese anytime. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do whatever we'll send, you want. <laughs> we'll send you some checks. Yeah it's, re- yeah, it's really great if you have a chance. But you you too, right? You have a classical and theory background, is that I right? do, yeah. Mm-hmm. And jazz, yeah. Um, and uh, classical and jazz radio as well, although right now I do news radio. But yeah, mm-hmm. so w- other weird ways to profit from music. <laughs> Than, you know, than um, composing it or performing it. But, uh, but yeah, I did theory in grad school and um, it was it was hard for me, though. It was I mean, there were things I just I have really good ears so I can like transcribe certainly not as quickly now as I used to be able to. But that was always real like transposition, transcription. Um, you know, any of that was was easy for me. And so even though theory you know, I don't have perfect pitch, so it took me a little more work. I still really loved it. I mean, I just love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I mean, I love it and we kind of nerd out, but I was, I was listening to one of your episodes the other day and with uh, Sonder and where you were like, you know, D Dorian, oh, that's interesting. And just thinking, yeah. you know, we get, 
nerdy about these things and thinking about, you know, this sort of traditional European assumptions of what, you know, B major, you know, connotes. Um, and I yeah. think that, you know, I think there's, there's truth in that. And then there's also a lot of flexibility of like, once you go from a traditional European orchestra to some weird synth samples, you know, it, it does, does it, universally read <laughs> the same way these, you know, yeah. these keys and modalities. But yeah, but we, I mean, whether or not it's empirically true, we at least like to lean into that as inspiration. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the best. I just, I love it. Um, yeah. uh, and I was going to go somewhere from there. Mm, where was that going to be? This will be an edit. <laughs> or maybe not. Yeah. Who knows? Sometimes I leave it in. Um well, I'll get back to it, maybe. Um, well, speaking of theory, I guess, this isn't what I was thinking, but this will work. Uh, I, I, when you talked about the track uh, Bearded Dragon, which on the Spotify playlist is the second one, um, you know, that's where I first noticed the trumpets. But, uh, but I, I know for sure in the first track, and it comes up a few different times, maybe more than what I caught, uh, just some, like, pentatonic, um, like... Uh, uh, sequences or whatever. I just, I loved, I loved that, especially in the first one, the first time it comes in and it's just like all over the place in like 30 second notes or something. I really, I just, I'm kind of a sucker for the pentatonic scale. So talk to me a little bit about that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, there are a couple of ways to talk about it. I think the, the most, the least sexy and most uh, (laughs) honest one (laughs) is that it's a pretty easy mechanism that you can get to work over a variety of, you know, art harmonically adventurous moves. It's very true. Uh, especially there's a lot of like Dorian Mixolydian stuff where we're like a lot of these things are in G minor and we're really like often will land, you know, and it'll go through sort of the B flat major, E flat, F, but they the the real sort of lift is when you get from that G minor to the C major. For sure. And so I think one, a lot of the tools that we were using, which were, you know, sometimes early 90s synthesizers, and some were like, you know, our modular, you know, rigs of, you know, mm-hmm. more modern Eurorack modules, but that often are, uh, you know, created based on the schematics or inspired by, you know, synthesis from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, the, you know, often we are using sequencers or arpeggiators to sort of control, um, you know, the, these outboard synths, right? There's not, I don't, I mean, I'm sure there's some stuff. It would be disingenuous to say there's no VSTs or digital, you know, in, you know, plug-in synths in this, but there are very few. Most of the synthesis is actually done, you know, in sort of these nineties authentic things or some of the more modern tools like the new Dave Smith stuff and some Eurorack stuff that, okay. um, you know, that, that approximates that, but that that's a long, <laughs> again, a long winded <laughs> response, but, you know, pentatonic, I think is, it's something that we can use as a framework and say, okay, just start creating some aleatoric patterns and waves and sequences, but lock it in to these pitches or these control voltages. If it's the modular, um, and that allows us to get a little bit of this kind of unexpected aleatoric, you know, aspects, but still being able to lock into a pretty rigid harmony and, and time. And so that was, you know, that's across the board. And I think even, you know, even that last track, which was 
sort of, you know, kind of meticulously uh, sequenced by, of this sort of harpsichord thing. I think like Spencer kicked it off. I gave it a little, you know, push and refinement. And then Charlie, who is, she's a classically trained pianist in the Amsterdam studio really got in oh, wow. and started to think about, okay, how the, you know, it's not a real harpsichord, but, uh, and Bach would never do this chord progression, but <laughs> you know, what would the sort of voicing and, you know, patterns of the arpeggios or ostinatos be in that? So I think, you know, there's some stuff that we were actually going in and note by note controlling and other things where we're really just building a system and then letting it run. And that can be with, with arpeggiators or, or sequences, as, as you mentioned, on, on some of these devices. do you want to talk about oh the song at the end we have to talk about the song at the end oh, yeah. yeah i can't believe i forgot about that for a second there tell me about that and who's singing and it's hilarious it reminds me of like if queen i don't know i don't even know what it reminds me of but it's it's wonderful and fun oh, well thank you that was one of the most fun things i think for me um it's actually me singing <laughs> okay I that's great i'm the i'm the voice of this you know Right, out the of king. Yeah. despotic uh, king. Falsetto and all. And, yeah. And it's, uh, well, yeah, I actually had to speak like him for 30 minutes recently because we're trying to build a, a AI voice model, as I mentioned earlier. And so <laughs> yeah. I'm really like assuming this character. I think I'm just going to start talking like him. But um, yeah, the, I mean, that was really fun. And I think it's a little bit of a, a spoiler. Um, we actually did, we we did a live performance of it here the other day. As oh, maybe cool. Fans, um, and we wanted to do a little video for socials, but I think we're going to hold that a little bit. The game's only been out a week. It seems, I mean, I hope it keep, continues to snowball, but it's getting a, a great response, much more so than, than we even expected. Um, but it is... I guess I can say this is sort of, I mean, it's on the Spotify. We felt like we couldn't not include it on Spotify and the record, yeah. but gameplay, you need to fully beat the game as all of the different, you know, avatars and then oh. get, you get to the credits and you get this song where the King has been uh, captured. He's, you know, I, I guess you got it from the, the lyrical content, but he's yeah. locked in a dungeon at the bottom of his castle or palace and he's just sort of spouting nonsense about how, you know, he's going to come back and take over. And, you know, there's all, it's, it, you know, it's sort of inspired by everyone from, you know, Donald Trump to Gargamel from <laughs> the Smurfs and, you know, a billion other uh, characters. But um, the, uh, oh yeah, it was like some podcast I was listening to with my kids. I also realized that the there's a voice actor in there. Um, but the... Yeah. So the, I mean, the idea is that he's like, you know, I'll never give up. I'll never give in. I'm going to, you know, come back and like, I'm always the king. I'm going to be the king, king, king. And then as maybe a classical romantic period music aficionado, you might ap uh, appreciate, we did the whole Berlioz trick, you know, and the, and movement four of Symphony Fantastique where 
the guy gets, you know, marched to the scaffold and executed by guillotine. So he's just like, the, the track just gets bigger and bigger. We bring in the whole rhythm section and he's really like, you know, going off. And then I guess he just gets, uh, <laughs> he gets the guillotine. So that's sort of the end of the bonus track of, of the credits. You styled yourself as a super duper world revolution fast. Come on. I never give up. I'll never give in. And I will keep fighting until the end Cause I am still king Yes, I am still king You know that I'll always be, I'll always be king Well, I am still king Yes, I'll be the There's, we were talking about this, we were sort of went out with some of the our friends at Buck the other night um, and to celebrate it was the, the night of the, the release and um, yeah, we were talking, you know, I think there's probably a world where we could have hidden it and somebody found that Easter egg, but maybe nobody, maybe there, I, I'm sure that there are many game players who, you know, won't listen on Spotify, won't um, necessarily come across this podcast and will have the joy of getting to the end and hearing a song through the voice of, of the king that they've been trying to, to defeat the, the whole game. You think you're so great with your vapid victory dance. Well, let's face it, people love me. You don't stand a chance. I'll be back in control before you know it. And you'll be crying like an itty bitty baby. You can't take my throne. Even if you've physically occupied it and your half-witted cronies have locked me to a pole in the cold underbelly of my home. Yeah, I mean, that was really fun, like, just in, you know, it was uh, Michael Hyland, who is the, the you know, game designer, lead creative director on it. It was a lovely, lovely, lovely person to work with. We, we, he was out to dinner the other night um, with us. But I think that he and Nick, who's one of the lead devs, um, you know, kind of said, like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had one of these, like, Easter egg, you know, songs like at the end. And it was like, just, I don't, you know, I mean, it could have been a much busier week for us or something, but it was like <laughs> one of these little seed ideas that we were like, okay, we've got an idea, <laughs> you know? And then we just like, we were like, yeah, yeah, we're thinking of something. And we just like left it like that on the Slack thread with them. And then I think took a couple of weeks and like did this whole massive production and then, you know, brought it back to them. But I think, you know, that those are the the things about, you know, these types of projects that are just so fun where you can, you know, you get the baseline of needs um, established and then you can really start to think about, well, what makes this special? What, you know, how do we bring some energy and life and, and character to this? And I'm, I mean, also selfishly, it's like, I, th I mean, we want to, you know, we want to leverage this to do more and more games and different aesthetics and, you know, probably different formats. Um, and, you know, hopefully, I mean, it seems like the, the, you know, the press and attention and everything is, is, is good for that now. Cause I think, um, collectively where we were is, you know, we were going to some, you know, bigger publishers and saying like, you know, we're whatever, artistically, creatively, infrastructurally, you know, impressive, you know, companies, and we want to make games yeah. and everybody's like, cool, but like, have you shipped anything? <laughs> so, <laughs> you have now. So, yeah. I mean, so I think, you know, and it's a, it's a small, small and fun game, but I think the goal is, you know, to turn this into, to more, more work and more projects. Um, 
and like me and my team loves loves this type of work. And so we're all excited about that. But even within the world of Let's Revolution, um, initially there were going to be six worlds and we ended up with four in this first release. And so we're hoping we can get sort of enough momentum and, and um, uh, you know, sort of, you, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, attention and, and I guess resources to justify building out those two other worlds, which were art directed and sort of, you know, concepted. And I'm selfishly just think there's, you know, one that I, I don't want to spoil what they are, I guess, if people are listening, but for us, like those are really are great opportunities to take the aesthetic and the approach and think about musically, well, what can we do for a diff, you know, an underwater kingdom and a air kingdom. And so I think mm-hmm. you know, that we're, we're a team of composers, creatives, project managers, producers who uh, you know, all have diverse backgrounds in music composition production. But one thing that unites us is we're not stage performers. We're not, you know, supporting the next, you know, Kanye record or whatever, if he's allowed to make another record. The, like, I think what, you know, what, and it can be game, it can be film, it can be, you know, physical experience, but we like working on music where it's a part a supporting part sometimes takes a little leading role in a larger human experience. Uh, and that could be linear media or something that's more, um, you know, uh, experiential. And so I think, and I mean, that that's, that's a uh, sort of blowing up the aspect of wanting to make the next two levels <laughs> of that's <laughs> revolution. But I, you know, I think the thing that excites me and, and our team the most is when we can add, you know, to a a richer experience rather than just making music for music's sake. mind telling me the names of the other composers on this project? You know, from our team, um, the composers were me, Wilson Brown, Pedro Botsadis, Charlie Van Feldehoven, Spencer Casey. um, And then we had sound designers was Charlie Spencer, who I'd mentioned, Torin Freeman in Amsterdam, Pedro again, Wilson again, Linton Smith number two. He also played the trumpet. Wills yeah. Guggenheim, Lawrence Lammers, uh, and Lorenzo Schmidt, who's at, he's in our Brazil studio, so we do have Brazil representation. Oh, cool. And then we had all of these other, you know, music production and performance of Bennett Eiferman, Linton Smith played the trumpet, as I mentioned. Rory White played the celli, cellos on um, the on a variety of tracks but notably in the sort of b section of the the credit song um <laughs> wills guggenheim lucas balging joshua heath dalton hearts and diana valero um who yeah. is an awesome intern that we have who's from la sistema where like dudamel came oh came yeah yeah venezuela yeah yeah, yeah she's, she's cool very cool. Yeah, because you did. I mean, we. I don't know that I even 
mentioned this, but you it was more than quote unquote just music. You did all the sound too. Yeah. So Yeah, we yeah, did all the sound and I, yeah. I gave Spencer a shout out too, but he did all of the, you know, F mod wizardry too. We, oh wow, implementation yeah. too. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Full full house. Yeah. Full uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, which was great. And I mean, I think you know, Buck was glad for for us um, to take on that. You know, that <laughs> yeah, of yeah, it. yeah. But for us, it's a it's better, right? Because we can sort of control the entire approach. There's certain yeah. things that are about performance and recording and the way that we're gonna, you know, arrange the different musical assets. But um, you know, we're we're a very like holistic studio of thinking about that the sum of the parts is is greater, you know, than than anything alone. And so I think having, uh, you know, a, a composer, creative director and technical lead, you know, all be Spencer here in house, it allowed us to bring, you know, a, a more holistic vision of, of the score. And we did all of sure. the, the sound design too. Um, that was a sort of iterative process. And I'm, you know, I know you talked to tons of, you know, game sound designers and composers and there's, you know, yeah. I don't know. I listened to your unpacking one too. I don't think we have oh, so fourteen thousand fully pieces, but the <laughs> we look in the repo here. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a lot of files, a lot of footsteps, and we're you know very kind of particular about um, about what we uh, you know wanted to include. I, I don't even know if this is going to give me a count, but there's a lot. I'm not trying to compete with. Uh, Oh yeah, packing. But yeah, so I think that was a that's that's always one of the, you know, most important and underappreciated aspects. And we were yeah. sort of doing that in tandem the sound design. I mean, um, we were doing that in tandem with the composition. But um, what we realized as there were sort of different teams or groups of people working on different parts, there was like, you know, maybe a third of the sounds felt you know, dead on in the aesthetic of Let's Revolution that we were developing. And then there were other things that felt, you know, appropriate, right, but were more generic or didn't feel bespoke to the kind of world and gameplay that we were working on. So I think a lot of the sort of, you know, weapon, you know, attack gestures, um, even stuff like footsteps, you know, we have like a sandy footstep in the flocks desert region and then we have sort of more of a earthen you know crinkly leaves region in 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 the forest and so i think just paying you know attention to those um as we got closer to to a final build cool yeah. my number is 3234 in terms of that's audio files but yeah yeah that's a lot well wilson thank you so much for yeah, chatting with me for today uh, really tell the team just really enjoy the music and and just based off of the reviews I read I think I think you guys are going to be writing level music for a while on this I think people are going to want more so uh, so just well done to you and and everyone it's been a pleasure well yeah thanks so much yeah I hope um, yeah I hope some people will will play it and Definitely. enjoy the music and the gameplay but yeah I, I just want to say I appreciate you having me so so greatly I've just listen to a couple of yours, but I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> listen to to more now. And I just really appreciate that you've carved out a space for you know talking about the the craft and the approach uh, behind game music.
Thanks for listening to Level with Emily. You can learn more about Wilson Brown, see a playlist, and support Level with Emily at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of our chat with Wilson on the Level with Emily YouTube channel. Please subscribe and like and all those things. And if you can help us out with watch time, that'd be great because we're close to monetization on YouTube. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Level with Emily and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level with Emily Reese is a production of June Media Inc. Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.